Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. Now, today's episode is an in-between episode in that we won't be going into the details of a certain job per se, which is what we generally do on each of our episodes. But what we will be doing is having a very interesting discussion with a very successful entrepreneur on his take on the things that he thinks he does that have enabled him to see the kind of success that he's seen today. And one of the phrases that he uses that I personally really like is manufacturing serendipity. And I will let him describe exactly what this means. But at a very, very high level, basically what he's trying to say is that if you're willing to put in your hard work and share your work and ask for help and put yourself out there and connect with people, good things will happen for you. So very quickly, our guest today is James Eder. And James is the founder of The Beans Group, which is a media company based in the UK. And today, The Beans Group is very big. It's very well known in the UK, but it started out initially as just a single website called Student Beans. And James started this when he was all of 22. He was a student at University of Birmingham. And Student Beans was an online student's discount platform, which is what it is even today. But as it turns out, James created something which was something that a lot of students really wanted. And so that platform really grew. And today it is a very popular platform in the UK. A lot of students are aware of the platform and use it regularly for getting online discounts. Since then, James has also started a bunch of other things. So as an example, he started Voxburner, which is a youth insights consulting firm. And he's also started something called Hexjam, which is an online youth lifestyle company. And the content there is consumed by millions of 18 to 24 year olds every single month. Uh, James has started a bunch of other things also. One of his most recent projects is an app called Causer, spelled as C-A-U-S-R, that aims to connect professionals on the go. So we'll be talking a little bit about that also. So I hope you enjoyed today's discussion as you'll find that James not only shares a number of really good insights and advice on things that have worked for him and things that can work for anyone listening also, but he also illustrates all of them with a number of really interesting anecdotes and stories. And really these anecdotes are sometimes funny, sometimes just amazing, sometimes just purely unbelievable. So that makes for a very, very interesting conversation. So I think you'll enjoy today's discussion. And so without further ado, let's welcome James. Hey, great to be here. Hey, James. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much I, for taking the time. Yeah, really well. Really, really great to be here. Oh, no, absolutely. And in fact, I was introduced to you by one of your juniors, Alison, who I think knows you from Isaac. And That's right. yeah. yeah, and she she was like, hey, Sonali, you have to have James on the podcast. He's so amazing. And he's created this thing called Student Beans, which pretty much, I mean, it seems all students, pretty much all of them literally in the UK are aware of the platform and use it. So I mean, how does it feel to have created something which is so widely used and benefits so many people? It's, it's awesome, to be honest. I mean, it's, it's something, you know, when uh, I guess when you're leaving university and deciding what to do one of the biggest challenges potentially finding a job and I guess for me I I didn't really want to go down that route so creating um, a business I guess I compare it to um, if you're a songwriter 
Um, and if you write a song and you you walk down the street and you hear someone singing your song, but I, I'm not very good at writing or singing. So for me, it was about creating something that, that people use and has an impact. And so right. I'm, I'm really, really proud of what, what we've achieved. Oh, no, you have to be. Yeah, I I don't know if you can use Student Beans out, outside of the UK. Uh, at least I hadn't heard of it in the US. But in the UK, it seems all students know about this. So that's pretty well, amazing. What, what, yeah, I mean, what's interesting is we've actually, we've grown a huge amount and we're, we're now actually as a, as a technology platform, which I guess I'll talk a bit more about in the journey, but is now available in over 20 countries around the world, including uh, the US. Oh, really? And okay. I'll talk more about how that's grown as well over, over time. But yeah. yeah, no, it's incredible. So cool. the way I wanted to set things up is, you know, when we were talking about this, this podcast and how we could structure it, the phrase that really stood out for me, what you mentioned was manufacturing serendipity and that how you've been able to do that in your life. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, I think maybe different people maybe refer to it different ways, whether it be flow or luck or yeah, serendipity, I guess the, the context of kind of these magical things happen. And when you recall the stories, people kind of see that that's quite unbelievable. Um, and examples including saying I need to meet someone from a specific brand and then I start talking to someone and it just turns out that they're from that brand or that opportunity or that organization. And I guess it's putting things out to the universe that suddenly things things happening. But it's it's really about preparing for it. And I think there is something about being in the right place at the right time. But you know, I think they say it's something like 90% is just it's turning up and it's mm-hmm. being present. And you know, I, I always look back and I think about the journey as, as setting up my previous company and student beans and being in places where my competitors aren't, being at events where, where my other potential um, like um, peer group, they're not. So I was always putting myself perhaps in a different scenario, in a different situation. Um, and then things, I'd say, kept happening. And even just yesterday, I was flying back um, from Amsterdam and I'd met someone from Ikea and they'd said they were interested in, in working with us. And I turned to the person to do some market research in the line um, just a passport control. And I just said to him, look, I'm doing a new company. Do you mind if I show you um, a demo? And I showed him and I said, oh, do you mind me asking what industry you work in? He's no sure I work in retail. And he worked for Ikea. And it was just this validation of I, I seem to be doing something right. Yeah. Um, but often we don't put ourselves out. We don't ask the questions and, and we stop ourselves. And that's a lot about what my new business is about. But I look about a theme um, and for me, um, kind of a quote that really resonates me with the Steve Jobs quote, the Stanford speech that he gave around the dots joining. So when we're doing things, we don't quite realize how they join. But when we look back, there, there seems to be a consistent kind of right. stream and thread that weaves them all together. Right. Um, so that that for me is kind of serendipity in, in a nutshell, really. Yeah. And I think the way you put it, it makes a lot of sense, which is that you know, if you put yourself out there enough number of times, it, it's no longer luck. And in fact, you know, for a lot of us, it, it could be luck if you put yourself out there once and it's just a coincidence that that one time it works. But maybe if we put ourselves out there many times, we might realize that, you know, a lot of things that we yearn for or desire, they're actually around us. It's just about asking and, uh, um, you know, making making it clear that this is what you're looking for. And then you'll just find that they're right out there within your reach. Absolutely. And I think there's something, though, about a fear, um, I, whether it be a fear of failure or, or concern. And um, it was interesting, there was some research that was done 
in, in the 1970s. And when I often, I, I delivered talks around the world and I ask for a volunteer at the beginning of the session and you're waiting in silence. And, and it, often it takes a few minutes for someone to pluck up the courage to put themselves forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I asked the question to everyone in the audience why they didn't volunteer. Mm. And, and the context is in 1970s, there was um, some research done and said, and death came third. So there are two most feared things in the world apart from death. Um, do you have any idea what they are? Uh, <laughs> I, embarrassment? I'd, oh, or like it not being part of the crowd or something? Yeah, so it might lead to embarrassment. But the first one is public speaking. Um, oh, wow. And the second one is, is networking. It's going to a room full of people that you don't know and that you're expected to connect. And if you think about it in the terms of our lives, we go from school and whether that be to university or into our first job, and what are we expected to do? We're expected to connect. You know, we right. can't do things alone. Um, at the same time, though, society is dictated as we're growing up, you know, don't talk to strangers. Right. And so it's just, we understand from a safety perspective, but there comes a certain point where we need to get past that. Um, and I think it's, it's just very challenging for society how it set itself up for people to be afraid of other people. Yeah. And that's something yeah. that I'm trying to change. Yeah, and I, I think there's also an element of fitting in because I think... At least that's what I've noticed a lot of times, including in myself, which is that when you're putting yourself out there, there's a strong fear of being rejected, right? That you you reach out to this person in the line and say, hey, I'm doing this thing. And he might just be like, oh, ha, 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 what a dumb idea or you know, something like that. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, I completely and I feel that it's amazing, despite me perhaps being confident and, and the perception of being confident, I feel that every single time before I open my mouth, especially if there are other people around. So, you know, when you're waiting in the airport and the last time I did this, I was traveling to Stockholm and we landed and we're waiting in the line to the passport control again. And I just thought this is a perfect opportunity to again speak to people nearby and validate um, the, this opportunity and cause her. And I turned to the guy next to me. And I said, do you mind if I show you this demo? We start talking and he's like, no, that's great. And um, and I was really concerned because everyone else around me, imagine if he said no or he made yeah. me look stupid, or, yeah. but he didn't. And he said yes. And it turns out, he said, this is really interesting. And it turns out that he works for a mobile payments company mm. and one of their clients was Spotify. And as a business model, we're looking in a similar way of how we can help provide a free and a pro version. And in a similar way on Spotify, you can get, I think, for a dollar for three months, you can do a trial and those kind of things. And so... That just that conversation itself maybe have made the whole trip worthwhile for me. And it was just a really interesting, useful connection, which otherwise would never have happened. But that feeling of fear is I I still feel it every single wow, time. Yeah. Um, but this is yeah. I mean, this is such an incredible story, right? And I, I would be very curious <laughs> to hear if if this if you were sort of made this way, right? Like since you were one year old, you were just going around talking to people, or is it was this a fear that you had to actively overcome? Um, you know, I think as a kid growing up, I, I may have been out, outgoing, but I think there are two related stories, actually. One is um, when I was at university. Actually, I take a step back. Before university, um, I was working for a telesales company selling Gala Bingo, which is like a bingo membership, so a bingo hall. Okay. Um, and we had to do around 250 phone calls every day. And in that time, though, we were, um, I did around a 10% conversion rate. So around 25 people every day said yes. Um, but we had to get them to say no. What's interesting is the number of no's I heard in a day. Um, we had to get them to say no three times. 
And I so see. that training for me, you know, I don't know what you, how do you feel when someone says no to you? Not good. <laughs> Not good, right? Yeah, so yeah. But imagine, right, a no like 700 times every single day and then replicate that by a week and then by a month. And then I did it for around six weeks. So every single day I got around 700 no's. And I look back at that time of my life as like that was kind of no training as opposed mm. to sales training. Like mm. it really taught me like no is not personal. It's not down to me. It's not even about the idea. People, you know, when you're calling them, people are just busy and they've got their own yeah. worlds. And yeah. no one was sitting there thinking James is about to call me and offer me this free bingo membership. And I, you know, I've got all the time in the world to speak to him and all of this. You know, everyone's got their own background and challenges and whatever. Right. So you know, I, I kind of, that for me was the most amazing, I guess, kind of helping grow my thick skin and just learn to deal with what does no really mean and, and depersonalize it. I mean, that's such uh, a great idea though, right? I mean, if all of us could go through a, such a training where you just become, like no becomes very much part of the journey, like an expected part of the journey. And when you say it, right, it's almost like you would expect it. I mean, that's part of, if you think of any statistical uh, distribution, there will be a whole bunch of no's and a few yeses. And that is sort of the natural expectation. It would be unnatural to expect any, any other thing. Absolutely. So, yeah. And like, as a kid, we grow up and we, we, when we want something, if you think about when you're a kid, you keep asking and you keep changing like, well, if we could do this, what if we could do this? And, you know, as we get older, we just shut, our world shuts down. And when we hear no, we're like, okay, yeah. And we, you know, we settle for that. Yeah. And I think that's really, it's a sad, sad place that we've got to yeah. because people then stop following their dreams. Definitely. So uh, take us back to the time when you were at University of Birmingham, you were a student. And before you started the Beans Group, what were, what were your plans initially? Like, were you thinking of what you wanted to do before you started your company? Yeah, I guess in my original plans, I wanted to be a pilot when I was a kid. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so that didn't happen. Um, and no, I, I think a few things happened whilst I was at university. And also, yeah, related, actually, my first lecture that I went into, um, I had two people come into the lecture room and they asked me for a, vo they asked for a volunteer, which is where I borrowed my, uh, my start of my session from. And uh, they asked for a volunteer and I sat there thinking, I'm not going to volunteer. You know, I don't want to embarrass myself in front of all my peer group that I've got to mm -hmm. spend the next three years with. Mm -hmm. And the guy in front of me put up his hand, went to the front of the room and they gave him a bottle of wine. And then they go, okay, you can go and sit down. And everyone in the room's like, what? He didn't need to do anything. He just needed to come. And they said, life's about opportunities. Come and find out about ISEC uh, Monday evening and we'll tell you more. <laughs> and they walked out the room. And, cool. you know, you could arguably say the reason why you said that I'm on the podcast is because another person in ISEC recommended me. Right. And, you know, that's the chain that brings me, I guess, to the podcast today. Um, and I went to ISEC. I found out about it. I got involved. I then went on placements in the Philippines, um, in, uh, which was amazing, and then in South America to Colombia. Um, and I was involved in sponsorship and various different opportunities whilst I was studying alongside my degree. And, you know, I really, the essence really is about learning by doing. There are so many things that like you can learn while you're studying, but it's actually, you know, I just, I put myself out there and I just learn by making mistakes. And that's, you learn, you know, fail fast, you learn quickly from the things that don't go well and, and you move mm -hmm. on. And then what prompted you to start the Beans Group? Um, so a lot of brands, when I was a student working, I was a brand manager for Yellow Pages um, mm -hmm. and not the most glamorous brand, but a really interesting learning. Um, 
And whenever I, I did a ski season as well, I worked for five months um, in the Alps and I, the, the essence of like customer service was like really key. And I would always challenge, I guess, my bosses. So I kind of maybe figured out that I probably wouldn't be a very good employee um, or definitely mm. not a very obedient one um, that would listen to rules. And I, I thought if lots of brands want to engage with university students and they're the future ABC ones, they're an amazing demographic of people. And that was married up with me also loving discounts and deals. Like mm. I'm sure it's either yourself or you know someone listening and you might have a friend that's like the deal person in your friendship group that would always be like, we've got to go here because it's two for one or let's go here because it's three <laughs> yeah. or whatever. So yeah. if you're either that person or you know someone, you know what I'm talking about. And that was me. And so I thought if I love a deal and other students, you know, it's synonymous. The student discount is, mm. is a big um, thing, especially in the UK, but internationally as well around student kind of discounts. So we thought if we can help students save money and we can help businesses engage with university students, that could be really, really powerful. Um, and the reason behind the name, actually, I came up with the idea, but my co-founder and brother came up, um, his Michael, he came up with the name Student Beans. And the idea behind the name was like baked beans on toast in the UK is like this staple diet. So if you don't <laughs> yeah. have money, you'll have baked beans on toast. Yeah. Uh, and then in uh, and the idea then student beans to become like a staple diet. That's and, interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, that that makes a lot of sense. And one thing which you just said, which really stood out for me, is that you you realized over a period of time that you would not make a very good employee. Uh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about like what about being an employee? Do you think you don't enjoy? Look, I I think it was more you know I'd always question and challenge and want to do things better. And I guess there's just an essence of, of slowness and I guess the, the barriers of saying no and the freedom of going, you know what, I'm, I'm my own boss and being able to wake up every morning going, look, I think this is the best thing that we need to do and we just get on and do it. And it's mm-hmm. it's exciting. And I think, you know, that's being constrained. And, and I just saw it a little bit with a really simple example. So in the hotel I was working in, my manager said, right, this morning you need to carry up. It was like four flights of stairs a stack of laundry. It was um, all the sheets from the hotel had just been delivered from the um, from the laundry place. Mm-hmm. And I just said, well, why can't after lunch just each of the team just grab a pile and we can all just do it and it will take like a minute for us to do it. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just like, let's just do that. Yeah. And she's like, no, I've told you to do it. Go and do it. And, you know, okay. so I spent whatever it was, half an hour, like, up and down these four flights of stairs repeatedly, up and down, up and down, up and down. And you just think... Uh, it's not it's not efficient it's not useful it's like whatever (laughs) it's a menial thing but I think me it replicates you know do you know be that cog in the wheel and what we're designed to do and it just doesn't fit with my my and I don't think a lot of employees I'm sorry employers they want innovation like they say they do and they say they want to embrace innovation um and you know you've got a lot of the challenging is middle managers that are afraid of being fired (laughs) <laughs> if they make a decision then they'll and it's the wrong decision you know their jobs online yeah. so you, decisions don't get made that is so right i mean I, I think i've read this research somewhere that innovation is most likely to happen either right at the top because by then uh, they have established enough credibility to get away with things or yeah. right at the bottom because you don't have anything to lose the middle managers which is the bulk of the company do <laughs> not have it, it's not in their interest to innovate uh, absolutely yeah and it's 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 a challenge 
you know you can see it's a real yeah. challenge for businesses yeah so it sounds like you 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 know right when you were in college you realized that you wanted to do your own thing you weren't really interested in looking for a job um did you ever think about sort of the financial side of this thing like did you think about hey you know what if this thing doesn't work out how will i how will i pay rent yeah i mean like a few things um related one actually i did apply for a job with procter and gamble Hmm. Um, and I didn't, I didn't get the job. I, I, I failed on the uh, numerical and verbal reasoning tests. Okay. Um, yeah. And then I also actually failed one of my finance exams at university, but I did retake it and I did get um, a high, high 60% or whatever. So I was pleased, pleased I put my, my mind to it and I did <laughs> end up delivering on that. But the reason why I share that actually funny is six months into setting up the business, I, um, I had a meeting with Procter & Gamble because We'd launched in Birmingham in, in 2005, just in the local city, and we wanted to launch in 18 cities the following year. And one of the ideas we wanted to use was student brand managers to help us promote the right. brand to other students. Right. And I thought, look, we don't have the scale, the size or the scale of the resource, but who's one of the biggest marketeers in the world? It's Procter & Gamble. So I went to them and said, look, can you sponsor our program? And can you pay for some travel, accommodation, some training? And that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and originally, they thought I was asking for some like a bulk of money, and they said, "Well, actually, we can't sponsor you in that money, but we'll pay for all of those things, so that we can expense it." You know, okay. kind of got it through through the back door, as it were. Yeah. Um, and that was amazing. But the, I ended up meeting one of the senior HR managers, and she referred referenced the fact that I applied for a job with them, and kind of that they may have made a mistake, but <laughs> <laughs> kind of already already passed now. But again, systems and structures that companies put in. They're not necessarily getting the best people. And I'm not saying I would have necessarily been very good at Procter & Gamble, but I think there's certain barriers that companies put in and they think they're looking for a certain type of person. Yeah. And I've heard a number of businesses changing their recruitment tactics because they are getting, I guess, replicas of people that actually doesn't serve the wider purpose of the business. Right. Right. Um, so, so that's kind of interesting. Um, sorry, go on. No, no, keep going. I was going to say, going back, so about the finances, like, did I worry? Yeah. I was going to try a roundabout answer, answering the question that prompted something. But, you know, the the finances is interesting because, and I, I'm right at the beginning again, and, and, and Student Beans, it's all about if we can add value to the end user, if we can make a difference, then the money will come. And we we were very commercially minded because we didn't get originally investment when we started and still we, we sustained an organic growth model. And... The focus was getting companies to pay us. So there was original, very core business value of if we can help a business generate more business, they should pay us a small amount to do that. And so from day one, we were revenue generating. Before mm. we even launched the website, we literally went and charged a small amount as a test period. Mm. And then we built and built on that. Nice. And so we had a basic financial model. Interestingly, I did a three-year business plan and we delivered on the model we delivered financially on what we wanted to do, hmm. but we made it in a very different way in the end, but it still matched up, if that got makes it, sense. Got so, it, Okay, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I think what's really interesting is, and that was going to be my next question, that, you know, once you got the idea, what did you do next? But yeah. it, it is so 
I think it's also the mark of of an entrepreneur. I think if you can be very resourceful, because like you said, that you you had this platform and you wanted these brand ambassadors in these various universities, and yeah. you could have tried to build that relationship, sort of going to each and every campus, which would have taken a lot of time, and probably you didn't have the money to really encourage these the students to work for you. So you decided to go to Procter and Gamble. You know, not everyone would think of it, but um, I think that was a very interesting approach that you took, and you managed to convince them, which is great. So. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Like once you got your idea, what was your next step? So yeah, in terms of the start, I mean, initially it was focused just in Birmingham. So the the main intent was like, let's get as many companies in Birmingham as possible and as many businesses kind of um, engaged and then as many students as possible. And so I literally would spend my days in the morning, I would go like, business breakfast networking and I would go to events and I would share student beans with anyone that would want to listen and then I would go onto campus where students were and I'd be flyering and speaking to people and getting them on board and interesting two I guess related stories one was at one certain business breakfast I ended up um, standing up and saying I was student beans and I was looking to speak to businesses interested in engaging students and someone else who graduated from the University of Birmingham says I know someone who works at KPMG and I'd like to introduce you because they're working on the graduate recruitment program. So great. I met this woman called Poonam. We met a number of times and, you know, the essence she shared with me was like, look, people do business with people. I really like what you're doing and like, how can we work together? Mm -hmm. And we ended up putting together an advertising package that at the time, bearing in mind our initial clients were paying us 360 pounds for the year so you know at the time maybe around 500 dollars, a lot less now but around that then and uh we ended up um going to them and saying well we're going to charge you three thousand pounds to do certain regions um in 2006 and the punam came back to me and said that's great but we actually only want exclusivity so we don't want the other brands like pwc and deloitte to be on there so i called my brother michael i was like mike we want to, what do we do? They've asked for exclusivity and what price should we charge? Mm. And, you know, there's, there's not so much science to it. It's like, well, we don't want to just double it because then they'll just think we've just doubled it. So <laughs> let's, let's double it and add some. Um, so we then went back with £7,000. And bearing in mind that when we started, I said, we, we, we got a low interest loan actually from a charity called the Prince's Trust, mm. uh, which was founded by Prince Charles. And they help startups. Um, and young people and help them set up a business. And it was a loan. So only it was a £3,000 loan. So bearing in mind that's the basis of we started on a very low amount that I'm now asking for a client for £7,000. And the funny, I say funny thing, she said yes, which is amazing. So in hindsight, maybe I should have asked for more money. <laughs> that was <Yeah. laughs> one thing as well. Um, but, you know, that was that was brilliant. And that payroll that funded the business is for at least another six months or so at the time. Right. Like, you know, we, yeah. weren't, we were on a very basic salary. Or at the I mean, in the first two years, we were basically paying our costs. Um, and so that's the other thing. I mean, our parents were very, very supportive. I was still living at home. You know, there, were, there was that support there. And I can appreciate not everyone's in, in that scenario. So going back from yeah. a finance perspective. So they were very, very supportive of, of um, you know, how, how we could follow our dreams and do what we really yeah. wanted to do. Yeah. So, so I couldn't have done it without them. But yeah. But it, you, it seems that you're full of many, many very interesting stories. So, and how did you find your um, your team? So uh, I'm guessing you were sort of the founder slash CEO. Um, 
Yeah. How did you find sort of the your other core founding team? Sure. So, um, well, my brother, um, two years older than me, and he would always tell me that my ideas were rubbish. And we'd be <laughs> on family holidays or we'd be in, you know, dinners and speaking about things. And normally he'd always tell me these are very rubbish. But this one, he, he said, you know, I really like the idea. And um, he had been, he was one of the first titanium power sellers on eBay. He had set up um, a business during the summer oh, wow. at one uni- uh, between universities. And then he was uh, JP Morgan. He did an internship with them. And he just decided that that wasn't the route for him as well. Right. And he, he really wanted to come on board. And as I said, he came up with the name. And so it was the two of us. And I would go into literally a shop or service door-to-door selling mm. and I would come out and I would call him saying Mike these are the details of the business can you put together a proposal and within 20 minutes so he, he'd he be the back office person and I within see. 20 minutes we'd have an email in the inbox of wow. the brand mm. with their logo on it personalized with their name and they'd be super impressed like it was just brilliant right. and um, yeah and then we just grew from there and we started we had an intern um, we then hired a couple of people that was that was really challenging hiring people older than us who <laughs> um, also couldn't necessarily deliver. It was like really really challenging. And um, I mean, an example: I would parachute into a city for weeks. So I travelled a lot around the UK, going to different cities, mm. and I would go door to door knocking. And every day, maybe I'd sign up ten to fifteen local shops and services, depending on the day. But that was a good. So I could do maybe fifty in a week. Hmm. But we hired someone and, you know, I would travel on the Sunday night, but they would travel on the Monday morning. So they would spend the whole of their day Monday traveling. They then on Monday night said they weren't feeling well. Tuesday and Wednesday, they weren't well. Thursday, they went to a few shops. And Friday, you know, they went home at midday so they could get home for Friday night. And they did all of about three deals in the week. And that was painful because I had to pay for that. <laughs> no, I agree. Like, it's so hard. That doesn't to... scale. That doesn't yeah. work. And yeah. it was a very difficult lesson to, to we spent, you know, in that, that quarter money that just didn't get us what we needed. And so we had to evolve from, from that model. But um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, it's so hard to find people who are not only smart, but have strong work ethic and are willing to put in the kind of work that the founder is. So, uh, and it sounds sure. like that, that was your experience for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, I think what's really interesting is, you know, we went from me and my co-founder, we had an intern who, bless him, was like really, really, he he went to my university and he was there for a year in industry. Um, And, you know, he did, he really, really cared. And I still, I'm still in touch with him and he Mm -hmm. still thanks me saying, you know, how much I helped him. And he's now actually a financial advisor working with his dad and he's doing so well. And it's just such a privilege to have been part of people's lives and, and help them achieve what they want to do as well. And the lessons like that they learn, I guess, of working with us and, and the difference that they can make to a business. And I, I just think yeah, there's something still a bit broken, I think, about the exchange of, you know, what people think and take and give to to business, especially as being a founding, you know, someone founding a business. Like, I just want all of my team to succeed. Mm. But often they don't help themselves. That's just, yeah. you know, it's really, really hard. And I think there's a, yeah, just a level that isn't being delivered. And I don't know if that comes from just this millennial generation of just it, it, the expectation is everything should just be on a plate and it should just be there for me. <laughs> and I just, 
it really upsets me because I think people can achieve so much more if they put their mind to it and they want to and they care. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, there's still uh, challenges around that. I'm not sure what to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully uh, there'll be enough people who get your message. And I mean, I, sure. I, I think there is a little bit of a realization, at least so like I'm here based in Silicon Valley and uh, here at least you do see a lot of people who are really trying to make a go at it, which is yeah. which is nice to see. But you're right, there is a general sense of, um, uh, I think, especially sort of putting yourself out there. I mean, I, I don't see a lot of people really actively just being out there in the streets, at the airport, at the station, and just showing people their app. I mean, I think that's a new level of, <laughs> new level of, uh, you know, of really? uh, commitment. But but it's great. I mean, literally, I'm taking I'm taking notes for myself right now that, hey, you know, Sonali, I think you should be doing this yourself. And, and why not, right? Like, if you're able to get over that fear of rejection. Um, yeah. I, th- I, think I mean, the funny thing as well, yesterday at the airport coming back, so I'm standing, EasyJet's like our low-cost airline over here, and um, I'm standing in the line, and we've got something called priority boarding that you can you can yeah. buy extra so that you can get, um, that's kind of the main perk. You yeah. can spend another um, bit just to, so you can have a separate line and be first on the airplane. Mm-hmm. So I'm standing in the, not in the priority line, and I turned to this guy, and he was with his family, but I thought, why not, I'll ask. And I go, can I show you the, uh, this demo and he's like sure so I go you've heard of LinkedIn he's like um yeah but I'm not on it and I said oh what, what do you do he's like I'm in construction so obviously like he's not necessarily in a field that yeah. needs to be on LinkedIn but then he goes yeah you're on it aren't you you're on it and, and he was going around his family and none of them knew what the hell he was talking about <laughs> and he's like aren't you like on the the pit interest and and it was just this comical. If it had been filmed, it was really funny. And then the grandfather was like, "Yeah, I'm on I'm on LinkedIn." And I'm like, this conversation is not quite going so far. It was probably my worst scenario, but quite comical. So I was like, "Okay, maybe I've asked the wrong person." And yeah. I think there is something about us. It's quite interesting about asking the right person. Yeah. Because maybe I'm also asking the right people. But what I thought was, we still had 20 minutes before the flight was boarding, so I went over to the priority line. Because I thought then they'd more likely be business people. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> and, true. Um, so I start chatting to the two guys that were, they didn't know each other, but it turns out they were both in IT and IT consultancy. Yeah. And they were giving me a really hard time. And I was giving them all these scenarios of situations where you might want to meet someone. So, you know, if you're traveling for work and you're by yourself, then instead of having dinner by yourself, you could connect with another colleague. That would be really useful for the business. And, you know, and instead of being isolated and feeling like by yourself, that we could better use of time and, you know, and it transcends social business. So say if you wanted to go for a run with someone that's training to a marathon, you are as well, instead of just randomly going up to everyone and asking, the app can do that. Every single time they're like, no, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. <laughs> Giving yeah. me like really, really hard time. Yeah. And it's, it's good for me because I'm like, okay, and trying to frame it in a different way. And um, so at the end of the conversation though, I give them my card just say, look, if you've got any other thoughts or you meet someone you think that might be interested, you know, feel free to have a look at it or feel free to share it, you know, because it will at least be a conversation, right? They'll get home or they'll get into work and be like, yeah, this guy was at the airport. He started to, you know, whatever. I yeah, just, yeah, yeah. You just, I just thought at least if they know it, they've got the card, fine. And then they go, you know, what was really funny is they discounted it completely. But then at the end I go, 
did you two both know each other before? And they're like, no. And <laughs> then the guy goes to me, oh, it's so interesting speaking to you because like no one ever normally speaks to me and I see normally familiar people, but you know, it was a really interesting conversation. So it was kind of like almost, he didn't admit it, but it was like interesting and useful. And then he goes, yeah, you know, I'm sure we'll probably see you on the front page of Time magazine or something. <laughs> and so it was kind of like, despite them destroying me, literally, I mean, it was a very, very like direct, like, negative conversation yeah there was still something that they were kind of like yeah they think this is going to be successful and by yeah it's almost like at the end the conversation in and of itself proved the idea pretty much exactly yeah exactly. and yeah. it was just uh and and then because i was already in the priority line i just said oh i've probably got to go back to the back of the queue and the other line they're like don't worry you're here now get on the plane so <laughs> i got to experience the priority yeah, <laughs> when, yeah. so that was also really funny no um, that's very cool then oh i've just got to carry on on that theme because then i sit down on the airplane the people from ikea were in the row in front of me so i was like oh hey again <laughs> how's it going and the guy sitting next to me um on the other side of the aisle I sat next to on the flight out and it was just amazing because I saw him and my world's different at this conference yeah. I was at a couple of days and yeah. it was just this this feeling of I, I'm just walking around the world seeing people that I know it was like this really really powerful amazing feeling yeah and, and I think you know as you're sharing this story it's almost as if you embody the idea behind behind the new app that you're building Causer because it's not that you are just sort of trying to promote the app, like you are yourself going out and talking to all of these people. And so, and I think that is probably, I would love to hear your thoughts on this, but do you think as an entrepreneur, that is something very critical to your success that you sort of embody the idea that you're building? Yeah, definitely. And you know what, I reflect and it's funny because, you know, I shared the context of discounts for students and that I, I embodied that when I was a student and when I graduated and everyone that heard friend and families that heard me saying I'm creating this company and student beans were like, Oh my god, this is you. Like if you were gonna be a company, yeah, that would be <laughs> it would be student beans. And you know, I think maybe this is the evolution having been at, at the Beans Group for eleven years, is that actually I've now morphed and evolved into this person that that now is causer and I'm synonymous with with the business because yeah, and I think that is, you know, true of what a founder needs to do to really like live it and to take you through like the challenges and the ups and downs like if you're not really believe and it's like it's more than belief um you know it was ben horowitz actually that i saw in a, a graduation speech i think it was last year from anderson horowitz and he was saying people say that they're passionate and <laughs> he said passion should be left in the bedroom <laughs> um, and he believes he when he meets entrepreneurs there's something that like, this is what they were born to do. And that's another level. It's not passion. It's their being. It's their like, this is what they are. They were put on the world to bring this. Hmm. And that's a hundred. That is where I'm at right now. Yeah. And oh, that's, that's awesome. what I believe. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, do you think that there are certain critical decisions that you took as you were sort of working on student beans and it was growing that really enabled it to become this very very widely used platform that it is today yeah i mean i think we had different stages of growth and i think in in lots of organizations you know you grow a lot and then you plateau and then you make decisions and i think you know 
the the key things were around not letting yourself be limited, I guess, by resource and just focusing, I think, on the important things. Um, I remember on our first week when we launched, there was a mobile company called Dot Mobile that was like a student mobile network that was launching. And they literally, I think they had millions of pounds in, in to launch. And I remember being very envious. And I think within about 18 months of them launching, they don't they didn't exist anymore. And it was like an amazing journey for us to just put our heads down and be resourceful, add value and, mm. uh, you know, and, and contribute and, and do what we did and just focus. And I think that's over the years um, when we've not had that clarity around focus, that's where we've got distracted and not been able to do or deliver or we've employed people then that hasn't then developed into bringing the results for the business because there wasn't enough focus. Mm. Um, the other thing that I'd say is also around like making decisions. And I think the people listening, you know, there are so many things you might want to do and it's almost by having too much information or you're almost paralyzed by making a decision. And that's the key thing though that stops businesses, individuals from achieving or doing what you want to do is, is that lack of making a decision. And so I think there are two core things that happen when you make a decision. And I think it's a useful framing that hopefully will help listeners is, is there something you want to do, make a decision and two things will happen. Either you move closer to what you want to do, in which case carry on doing that, or you'll move further away from what you want to do. And if you move further away, then stop and then make another decision that again, will have those two kind of lines that it can follow. And I just think it's just keep doing that quickly. Because it's only that that you'll you'll learn from the mistakes, you'll learn, but you'll get paralyzed by if you don't make that decision. And uh, you know yeah. that's really key. That's that's a that's a very very useful framework. Can you share an example of maybe a situation that you might have faced at Student Beans or any of your other initiatives, where yeah. you can share an example of the situation and a decision that you took that maybe took you further away, and then you uh, sort of re decided to stop doing and did something else. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I don't want to use the same example, but employing, you know, I, you employ people, you think they're right, they sell themselves, and you've got to make the decision, like, it's not working. And I always frame, um, you know, the context. If I'm not enjoying, like, managing them and we're keeping having difficult conversations, yeah. I'm sure they're not enjoying it either. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's no point pretending that this is working or this is good for anyone, like, um, you know, I think in the film Up in the Air, when when uh, George Clooney like lets people go, he he frames it as like this is the opportunity to now begin the rest of your life, and <laughs> I think that's also maybe very apt from from a recruitment perspective and just knowing that it, if something's not working, to yeah. move on. Um, but I think I think that's just you know day day to day around like focus. So um, speaking to certain brands, certain companies you know, you, you, you start a, a track and decision and if that doesn't work, then kind of moving on from that. Um, yeah, I just, I think it's just too many. It's almost daily. Those things are are constantly, we just need, you know, and I think the skill is being faster at making those decisions and knowing and understanding the data. So making data driven decisions to then, um, you know, is it working? Is it not? And then make another decision. And I I think it's also having this uh, comfort level with being wrong that it's okay if, if you're wrong, but it's that's still another data point as opposed to just not knowing what is right and what is wrong. What is wrong is also a good data point and that just yeah. helps eliminate 
the number of choices that you can work at and then sort of keep narrowing down the thing that actually works. Yeah, definitely. I think there are more learnings as well from uh, from the mistakes yeah. and from the things that go wrong. Exactly. Um, a lot of people say that, you know, if it went right, like you don't really know how to replicate it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> wrong, like exactly what was the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so James, I mean, and you know, we we can keep going about the number of other things you've started, but all in all, you've started a bunch of different things, and most of them have been very successful. What do you think are some of the key things you've done that you think have helped you see the success that you've seen today? And clearly, one of them has been just putting yourself out there. But if you were to think about like four or five things, what would they be? Yeah, I think look, one of them is just starting. Like I think we get kind of paralyzed, and I, I also. Um, use this example for people. So people have got goals, dreams, objectives, like how can you break it down? And what's the first thing that you can do to take action, to move that thing forward? Um, and it's interesting, uh, something uh, around kind of recommending books, which I always love to do, but one of them uh, I reference now is uh, Getting Things Done by David Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure, are you familiar with Getting Things Done? Uh, I've, I've heard of the book, but I don't think I've read it. Yeah. So like, for me, it's like one of the books that fundamentally like reframed how I work, how I think, what I do. And it's all about the next step and the next action and facilitating if I know, okay, so breaking it down. So an example would be, right, I want to cycle to work. So a lot of people might say, have this aspiration, I want to cycle to work, but what do they need to do to do that? Well, do they have a bike? (laughs) The first question perhaps. And then if they don't have a bike, you know, what can I do to get a bike? Well, they're like, well, I can't afford a bike this month. Well, why don't you borrow a bike from someone? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if that's, and then you kind of break it down to go, yeah. well, my other excuse is I don't know how long it will take me to, to cycle. So I don't want to do it. You know, I, I'm worried that it will take me too long. Well, why don't you on the weekend spend, you know, just go and cycle <laughs> to work and back yeah. so that you can find out the route. And then, so what's, you know, the next step action is, okay, update on Facebook. Um, does anyone have a bike I can borrow? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that's, just the very simple thing of doing, taking that action, doing that act, and then, okay, great, you can borrow a bike, okay, the weekend, and just break it down into those, literally those next steps, those next actions. That's a great, help. great idea. I really like it. And this reminds me of this example. I read it somewhere. It was some uh, mountaineer, I think, who was stuck in a crevice. And mm. uh, I mean, you can imagine just how scary that can be, but he yeah. managed to get himself out. And people asked him, like, how did you do that? And he said that, you know, I never thought about, you know what, I have to get out of here. I just thought about, yeah. I, have to, I have to take the next step. So he would say that, you know, I have to cross like this two feet now. And that's all. Yeah. He's not thinking about the whole thing because that would, that would be scary. But he can do the sure. two feet thing, which is exactly what you're saying. Absolutely. And yeah. it's the same, you know, there's an analogy of how do you climb Mount Everest. It's about getting to base camp and what are those different yeah. base camps, those milestones um, and being true to that and delivering on that. So, yeah. yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. All right. So starting, I think that makes a lot of sense. And uh, what else? So, yeah, I think, you know, the theme as well, which I shared earlier, kind of not, not being afraid of no. And, you know, the resilience, there's definitely like a piece in there, like the number of people that I meet that, you know, or, or teams or people that I work with that are like, so I've tried to call them and they've not come back to me. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to try someone else. And it's just like, oh my God, <laughs> like my life is just that concentric circle of yeah. follow up, follow up, follow yeah. up. And like, you know, one of the early days with Student Beans was I would call a company and my key thing or my secret kind of killer question is like, is now a good time to talk? 
Um, and if they go, no, I'm like, okay, do you mind if I call you back at like two o'clock on Tuesday? And they kind of hesitate a bit or they suggest a time or they agree. And then you call them back two o'clock on Tuesday and they're like, and you ask the same question. And literally some people I did that seven times with or whatever. Yeah. And they go, there's something in it that does two things. One is it builds up a relationship with them. So it builds up a rapport mm-hmm. and you do what you say you're going to do. So that it's building up inherently some trust in there. Um, but then also it's like you're then, you know, delivering on that. So that's cool. Um, and then I think there's also an element with, wow, if he's calling back this many times, maybe there's something useful or interesting. <laughs> if he thinks it's important, maybe I should listen to it. And, They're absolutely you know, right. I did get that narrative and feedback over the years that that's, you know, why some people just took my call because they just finally, you just, you did it more times than everyone else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. him again. I like, uh, you know. You're I'll, absolutely I'll right. I think people do um, respect that persistence after a while. That, you know, they're yeah. just like, if he's so interested in this and if he's if he's so hell-bent on this, well, if nothing else, let let me at least talk to this guy because, you know, yeah. there's something special <laughs> about him. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, and then it would just get rid of me as well. Like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let me just get it out of the blue. But then if you're able to say something interesting, it might work out. So, okay. Yeah. There's a guy um, as well called Chris Cardell who does uh, a lot of training about cold calling and speaking to people. One of the things that he says is, um, keep following up until people tell you to stop or that they die. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so, but he does, there's a statistics, and I'm not, I'm not going to call the exact figures, but there's basically 90, it's like 90% of salespeople only call, I think it's once, and then 70% call twice. But 90% of sales take place after the seventh call. Well, yeah. But 70% of people never call more than twice. More than or something like it, it's those kind of figures. Right, right. Um, and, you know, so I just, whenever I'm doing any kind of training from that perspective or speaking to people or advising, even ISEC, I run some kind of sessions for them around how they can get involved and get more people involved in, in the charity. It's It comes down to you just got to keep going. And, you know, it's just that's one of the things. Right, right. I mean, this is such a good point, right? And I think it's also having some level of, as you're saying, like, so one of my, uh, one of my colleagues, they, mm. they used to say that you should just be shameless. Like, just don't care. Yeah. Like, just do whatever you want and then ask for forgiveness <laughs> later if someone gets angry. But like, yeah. do, and, and I think that's exactly that, that they'll just ask you to just, just stop it. And then, then you can stop. But until then, there's nothing wrong in asking for what... I mean, of course, you should do it in a respectful way, but yeah, you should absolutely do it in respectful. And I think, you know, what I was just um, I said, I was in Amsterdam at a, an event. We were talking about um, it was Tony Fernandez, who's the CEO of um, AirAsia, hmm. um, and it was like a really, really interesting um, session. And I just, yeah, it was really cool. He, he said, "You can do anything if you put your mind to it. If you." Don't will it or dream it. It will never happen. Um, but also he was saying something. It's just, you, you only live once. And, you know, I just think there were some few things that he really shared that were very inspiring just about the fact that you've just got to go out. And every, like, I know it and I do live it a lot. And living there sometimes is tiring because you're constantly putting yourself out. But yeah. it, it is so rewarding and it's so true. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know... I'm sure maybe listeners, everyone's got someone perhaps that they've lost and we just never know when our time is. And, um, you know, just living each day like it's your last. 
Mm. You just, we don't know. And, and that's very, it's very real. It provides a lot of focus for every conversation. And, and I, I sum up a bit of that every time I speak to a stranger and every time I do a demo to someone I don't know, or every time I put my hand up in a, in a session to ask a question in front of a big audience, whatever it is, I kind of summon that bit of, you know, this may be the last question I get to ask ever. Wow. <laughs> so oh it. God. That that's 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 a scary thought to have every day. But uh <laughs> but pro- probably very, very, very useful. I, I think one one framework that I've heard of, I think Jeff Bezos uses it. He calls it a no regrets framework. I I'm, I'm it's not exactly this, but something along these lines. You know, you're just trying to make sure that you don't have any regrets. So if the, let's say there is that conference or that meeting room where you want to volunteer, but you don't. You don't want to sort of end up with that regret two hours later that, hey, you know what, I could have volunteered, but I didn't. You just do it. And, you know, slowly Definitely. over a period of time, you'll get and I did, it. Yeah. I did the same. It was so funny because I was at an event and I saw it was the CEO of Iceland Air. And um, Iceland Air did a fantastic campaign where guests could um, request an air steward or a member of staff from Iceland Air and spend a day with them doing like an activity. So going skidooing or going to see the volcanoes or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And they would partner up. So guests, you know, flyers would be matched with um, an employee and then they'd spend the day together. And it was all around creating, they called it buddies. Mm-hmm. And it was a really great campaign and, and they got a lot of social media coverage for it. Anyway, and I wanted to talk to them about Causa and about how we can maybe extend that program because we can help people connect more easily um, and with each other and all those things. And, but I was, I wasn't sure if it was the CEO or not. So I'm kind of standing there and someone came up to me and go, who are you looking at? <laughs> and I was just like, oh crap, I've been spotted. And um, so I go, is it or isn't it the CEO of Ice and Death? He's like, no, no, it is. So I go, okay. So I went up to him and introduced myself and I said, I'd love to have a further conversation. And he, his colleague gave me his card and I gave him both my cards and he said, you know, definitely follow up and stuff. And I left them to it. And it was just, you do it and, yeah. and you move on. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. All right. So you said, you know, definitely start out. Don't be afraid of being told no and, you know, be resilient. Keep on persisting. Keep following up. Anything else yeah. that comes to mind? Um, you know, um, it's two related things. One is know what your strengths are and like play to your strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I definitely spent too much time in the beans group and at student beans, just doing, doing things that someone else could and should have been doing that I then would have been, would have enjoyed myself more. Like the last 11 years, I think I enjoy a lot of it. And like, I don't look at it as I, it's not like work life balance for me. It's whether you're enjoying it or not. And I genuinely have enjoyed like the majority of the time, but I know the times that I've not, it's been because I've not been playing to my strengths and I've been brought down um, with things. Maybe I've had to do them initially because we didn't have the money to pay someone else. But then going forward, as soon as you're in a position and affording to have other people in your team Mm. to do the things that you're not so good at doing. So that's one. And then the second related to that is about surrounding yourself by the best team. Right. And, um, I think um, there's a, a great story as well that got shared with me by a mentor. Um, and I was talking about some challenges that I had with the team. And he told me about Clive Woodward um, was the England rugby coach in 2003 when England won the World Cup. And it was really interesting because it was the first 
day that Clive stood up in front of the room and had their first meeting. And the England rugby team, they came in, mobile phones were going off, people were talking. Like the meeting ran, but it wasn't a very effective meeting and it started a bit late. And interestingly, in a question for listeners and for yourself as well, like what would you do as a manager to like not let that behavior continue? And what would you say that would like enroll people and get people excited and engaged as opposed to you know the student teacher mentality or parent child you know relationship that often can happen that you're kind of told not to do it Mm. and for me I I was posed with that question it's like okay what would I do anyway this the story that was told was apparently Clive and and this actually is recalled in the book um winning uh, by Clive Woodward which talks about the story which is again another brilliant book and the story goes that he said, thanks very much for the meeting. He goes, why are you here? I don't know about, you know, you. And the narrative was asking everyone, why Why are they playing rugby? Why are they here? And, you know, various things came up. And he shared, look, I'm here to win the World Cup. I'm not here to come second. Like, this is what I'm here to do. And if we're going to win the World Cup, then we need to be world class. It's about going into the World Cup being the world's number one rugby team. Because if we don't go into the beginning of the competition being number one, then how are we gonna how are we gonna win? We'll just win by luck or by chance. We won't win because we are the best in the world. Right. And my commitment, and that's what I'm doing. I'm here to win. So they kind of all go, yeah, we're here to win as well. Okay, great. So then, well, what does world class mean? And then the context was world class means well, it means world class meetings. It's not just about being on the pitch. And it's what are the, all the things that that entails. And so world-class meetings, and they agreed like Lombardi rules around turning up 10 minutes before a meeting, people are there. Um, people aren't talking. Mobile phones, and they agreed as a team that you will only use a mobile phone when you're on tour in your bedroom. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can imagine another team on the way to the match, everyone on their phones, distracted or whatever. But that's team time. And you can see just in that small glimpse of, everything that the England rugby team did from that point forward was about building this world-class team. And I, I relate that then back to business of this aspiration of, you know, being world-class isn't you just suddenly arrive somewhere and then you're world-class. <laughs> yeah. It's from day one when you're recruiting people, when you're doing whatever you're doing, that you bake that in. And and that's exciting. And my challenge is to recruit a world-class team yeah. Yeah. To, to help you go forward. Yeah, and I think what's very interesting in what you just said is that you knew the why. Like, why are we here? What are we trying to achieve? Because I I don't think that that's an answer that everyone or like majority of people would be very clearly be able to articulate. And this thing that you mentioned, like play to your strengths. I I think a lot of people say that. Um, What a lot of people struggle with is really knowing what their strengths are. I mean, you might have some vague ideas. Any ideas around how you can assess that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so for me, two two related books, um, actually. The first one's called uh, First Break All the Rules, um, which is written by a guy called Marcus Buckingham. Um, and there are 12 like really, really powerful questions um, that I'll come on to. One of them is actually, do you have a best friend at work? Mm. <laughs> which is like an interesting one. Um, but another one is like, have I been acknowledged for, have I been acknowledged for my work that I've done? Has someone praised me in the last seven days? Or there are some some really key messages, but why I share it in the context of your strengths is it talks in the book about like motorway strengths. 
Like I would say, I've been told I'm, I can deliver a really great public speech, but my co-founder, Michael, he doesn't enjoy public speaking. Mm. Um, and I would look at it as you can spend, I know Malcolm Gladwell talks about spending 10,000 hours doing something, you can perfect it. But there's something natural, your natural talent, and then something that you can learn. And arguably, still the naturally talented person will still perform better. They'll still just inherently, by nature, whatever it is, they'll just still do it better. And so that's, I think there are some things about being aware. So the second book related to that, though, um, actually, one more thing about the first book is the education system's a bit broken. And I think companies are very similar. That They'll say, for example, you're good at A and B in an appraisal, but you're not so good at C. Let's get you some more support on C. Let's train you on C. Let's improve on that. Whereas actually, organizations, if they can play to strengths and only have you do A and B and let someone else do C, that surely should be better for the business because if you're enjoying things that you're good at, you're going to be better at it and you're going to be yeah. helping the business more versus trying to improve on something that you're not so good at. Yeah. So I think that's a framework for me that's like really important and I said a bit broken whether it be in a lot of organizations and at schools that what you're taught in a different way. Yeah. Um, and the, the second book related is called Now Discover Your Strengths. And actually at the back of the book, there's a code and you can go, it's something called Strengths Finder and it's by Gallup. And basically you do the test and it gives you your five core strengths in order. Oh, interesting. Uh, and it is unbelievable. I mean, it, only, it sounds like I'm on commission by them, but <laughs> I, when I find something and I love it, I just like have to tell people. And that's one of them that I just, maybe I should be on commission, but they are fantastic. <laughs> and they genuinely, uh, you know, if anyone's struggling or talking about or I'm mentoring people, I say to them, look, buy this book or here's this book, do the test and then, and then you'll see. Um, and one of mine is so interesting. It is, I think it's woo. It's like the context of knowing strangers are just people you've not met yet. Like literally, I think the phrase was strangers for you are friends that you've not met yet. So okay. it literally is yeah. summarized. My like it Th- just that's your brilliant. strength. Yeah, one of my strengths. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it, what what things are really coming together for you without without I your know. yeah. Okay. I like we talk again about serendipity and flow, but like, what am I doing? I've looked at those five key strengths, and I'm spending at the moment ninety percent of my time in that zone. Yeah. Uh, I'm at an airport with the whole airport I've just not met yet. Like that is just my dream scenario. Wow. Okay. <laughs> but that that's that's a very good resource. Thanks for sharing because I, I think that is an area that a lot of people struggle with. That that self awareness, knowing what you're good at and not so good at. Very Absolutely. few people actually have that. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that as well, the test gives you your five key ones in order. Okay. Um of your most natural dominant one and then the the, the other ones and stuff. I see. So, really amazing. Okay. Yeah. So if you could go back and share one piece of advice with your 22-year-old self or maybe 25-year-old self when you were still early in your uh, in your journey what would yeah. you what would it be Um you know what I know I was um what's the word I was driven and I know I spoke to a lot of people and I did but you know I'm 33 now and I know that's not old but at the same time, when I, if I could contact more people when I was 22 and just say, hey, I'm 22, I've launched this company, can I have 20 minutes of your time to get some help? Like people, when they hit a certain stage, and, and generally people, 
are very open and people do want to help. And, you know, so I, I would still even say I would just have done it. I would just done even more, but like, I'm not saying that as like, I'm regretting anything or I didn't do it a lot. Cause I know I did it a lot, <laughs> but I can't get back that time. I can't be 22 or 25 again. Like yeah. even to me, 25 now sounds older because like 22 is a nice sweet spot. And, um, I joke when I still get introduced instead of saying my age now, I just say, I started when I was 22. <laughs> <laughs> sounds so much better than like, I'm just 33 now. Um, oh, come on. I mean, it, because it just, it is, it was, you know, it, it, not very, very few people when they're 22 set up a business. Mm-hmm. Like very few people set up a business in their whole lives, period. So that's like, you know, we're, we're one of a, a percentage of a small percentage yeah. of the world that will do in, in that kind of framing um, in today's society. But, you know, more people are doing it, but it's not for everyone. But I think there's, you know, I think that's, I would say, just do do even more yeah. um, uh, uh, and ask for more help. Yeah. And I think that's a that's a very good uh, piece of advice for even like anyone who's listening, whether whether you're 22 or not. Just mm. if you could just go out there and ask for help, just ask and ask as many people as you can. There's nothing wrong that can come out of it. Like it cannot yeah. backfire in any way. No, I think you know some people can say no, so fine. Like yeah. you know, and, that, and some people have said no, and you know, it actually, you know, you just think, okay, well. Like there's, there's also I frame there must be something else going on for them, like you know, and that what, what you perceive and what actually is going on for people. The other thing though I would say if you're asking is be as specific as possible because the worst kind of ask is, hey, and if it is just a general look, you've done something similar in my field and I'm interested in talking to you, okay. But when it comes down to it, and you know, there's a narrative behind that, but what's the very specific thing that you need help with or challenge or you know, and, and that's, I guess, breaking it down to what's the next step, what's the next action. Because if someone just goes a general email and a catch-up and a chat, like, I'm so busy at the moment, I'm, I'm doing a lot more focused, I'll speak on the phone or I'll do, you know, if I can help with something. But it, do, like, my request is, yeah, if you are going to ask, be as specific as you can. Yeah. And what's an example of a specific request? Um, so I'm looking at setting up a share option scheme and I've not done it before. Can you help me with that? Because okay. I know you've set one up okay. or I'm trying to find, um, you know, uh, or I'm having a really challenging problem with a member of staff and I want to get rid of them in the right way. Can you help with that? Or do you know someone I can talk to about that? Or I'm looking for someone in the media industry or do you know a reporter or, you know, they, I mean, like, if it's a specific brand, that's even like, hey, I mean, the traditional thing is you look on LinkedIn, hey, I need someone in that sector. Do you know someone who works at that company? Please, can you right. make an introduction for me? Yeah. You know, like, that's a very, very specific, it's a tangible thing that I can action, that I can do quickly, you know. So, so many people, like, the worst thing was, like, someone emailing me, hey, I want to work in financial services. Can you introduce me to someone? <laughs> yeah, that's like, not. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. Like I said, look at my LinkedIn profile. If you see me connected to someone specific, let me know. Like, write something very specific. I can email them. I'll ask for an intro. Like, I'm more than happy to do that. But like, why should I invest my time in trying to discover which financial services company that I don't even know? Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that's, that's a great point. So can you share examples uh, where you've said no? So this this clearly is one where the request is not specific enough. 
Um, yeah. Have there been other instances when you've said no or maybe just ignored a request? Yeah, look, I, I, it, it's very difficult, I think, in today's world to say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's also, you know, I've seen, I saw someone else a blog post recently, like saying no and, you know, I'm successful because I say no. And I think, you know, there's a lot as a business. What's so interesting is for a lot of businesses when they contacted me, especially as we grew, I would always say yes because I want to help. Mm-hmm. But then my co-founder's like, Mike, James, we can't say yes to everything because we're a business ourselves and, you know, it, we just get distracted by things. And and so that's also, I think, one of the successes is absolutely that we've said no to a lot of things. And I actually had a file, um, this has partly come from getting things done, where you put in a folder someday maybe. So if someone emailed me, can we explore this? We're launching in three months. I just go back to them and say, look, at the moment, it's not something we can do. But once you've launched, feel free yeah. to be in touch. And then I put them in the Sunday Maybe folder. Uh-huh. Um, okay. And I reviewed the Sunday Maybe folder. And I literally did this. And I think 95% of the links and the emails and people sent me, I think it was a year later, they didn't exist. Yeah. Okay. And wow. Okay. It's hard because I'm that person that also now wants people to listen to me. And But now we've launched, you know, and, and whatever. It's, it's uh, And... So, but most of those people also don't follow up um, again. Yeah, and So they true. kind of self-select themselves. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, they self-select. I mean, if they keep persisting, keep asking you over and over again, as you said, you'll probably give in and just say yes, even if it's just to get them off your back. But then if they're not bothering to follow up, maybe it's not so important for them anyway. So Yeah, there's other two things actually I've got to share related, which we, we weave back in, but, um, and it was about this kind of starting. And when I was yeah. 17, I ended up doing something at school called Young Enterprise, um, mm. and it was all about learning by doing. We actually created a website. This is back in 1999, 2000, when you still had dial-up internet, which probably a lot of listeners, some will remember, <laughs> some won't. Yeah. Um, and I used to have my parents scream at me, get off the phone, I'm trying to make a phone call. Get off the internet, I'm trying yeah. to make a phone call. Um, and so I don't, don't miss those days. Um, but I would go in, I went into a shop on a Friday afternoon, and this woman screamed at me, get out, wherever you're selling, get out of my shop. Oh, and it was quite abrasive, but, you know, I was like, okay. Um, and then I actually, I didn't leave immediately, but I, I just explained that I was from the local school and I was doing this project and it was to help their business get more business. And they'd only recently opened. So I was kind of like trying to just say, look, we're only charging 20 pounds, a small amount of money to be listed on this directory and the profits are going to go to charity. Anyway, after 20 minutes, we left with money in hand. And I think the reason why I share that story is actually three of us that worked on the project. I'll, I'll explain who they are in a moment. But in that moment, it was what's the worst thing that can happen and what's the best thing that can happen? And, you know, listeners, if you think about it, you know, often we think the worst thing's going to happen. And we that's like, again, going back to that fear or what stops us or what's stopping you from making that next step or making that next decision is you're, you're afraid ultimately of what, what, and you frame the worst thing's going to happen. And I so I challenge you to think, you know, in every decision thing that you're doing, what's the worst thing that can happen? And, you know, alternative, what's the best thing? Yeah, yeah. And chances are it's not going to be as bad as you think, and it might not be as good as you think, but it's definitely not going to be, you know, life-threatening, and you'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> so if you can shed your ego and pride, then I think life just becomes a yeah. lot easier. It's just, it's oh, fine. definitely. Yeah. And I think maybe that's as people mature and, and you grow up, you kind of realize that actually it's not as bad as, the prom night or it's not as yeah. bad as yeah. it's <laughs> yeah. 
um, and, and that's context. So the two other people that I actually ran and did that young enterprise program with, uh, it was funny actually because our company was called Chrome Enterprises, um, which was just, um, you know, little did we know a few years later that Chrome. Chrome is going to be, be big. Uh, yeah. yeah, such a, a mainstream, well-known name. But yeah. anyway, Chrome Enterprises. We called it Chrome because we were going to do a few different projects. We thought Chrome would encompass lots of different things. That was the, <laughs> okay. no real science behind it, but that was it. Um, but the two other people that I set that up with um one of them designed our website, and it was a guy called Anthony Eskenazi. Um, and Anthony is one of the big success stories in the sharing economy. Um, and he founded a company called Park at My House, which then got renamed as Just Park. Oh, um, and mm-hmm. he did the largest crowdfunding campaign in the UK, £3.7 million pounds, um, last year, around parking in your driveway. Um, oh, wow. You can rent out. So kind of like the Airbnb for mm. car parking spaces. Mm-hmm. And amazingly he designed the website and i've got this uh contract that we did for 50 pounds that he would do it and if we didn't make money we wouldn't pay him or something it was a a very kind of uh, you know a child's contract as it were but it was very it's fun to see that and to see what we've both gone on to do the third person as well is a guy called musa Tarek, who was at um and consulting he then went to work at burberry um and then headed up social at nike and is now working um, at Apple with um, Angela and Tim Cook and doing social for Apple retail globally. Oh, and nice. he's just an awesome person. And I think about the three of us, of the different things that we've done, but I think all parallels around entrepreneurial and putting ourselves right. out and persistence and getting things done. And, you know, so it, it's a privilege to look back and think that we, you know, we work together and again, what we've gone on to do now. Right. And I, I think what's really, uh, I mean, it's so amazing that you know people like these, right? And you know them because, again, of all the things that you've described in our discussion today, mm-hmm. by putting yourself out there and doing amazing work and showing passion for what you're doing and for, uh, again and again, making sure that you're reaching out to people. I mean, look at yeah. look at the quality of your network now. This is amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, no, it's good. So, uh, yeah, I mean, James, this was this was brilliant, like truly fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for sharing all of this advice. I wanted to just very briefly chat about Causer also. So it sounds like a great idea. You are pretty much spending all your time talking about this at airports and railway stations and roads and cars and cabs <laughs> everywhere. So that's great. Yeah. What are sort of the next steps there? Yeah, I think just... For, for, for the users to kind of hear just a little bit about kind of what it is and where it kind of came from. And you've heard, I guess, a few of the narratives and the stories of connecting and meeting people. Um, but two of the kind of most dominant ones was one sitting on the underground in London. Uh, someone came to sit next to me with a CV in his hand, a resume. And I just turned to him and I said, you know, you're looking for a job. And he said, yes. Um, actually, he said, I, I asked him what sector. He said finance. Uh, and a bit of me died inside, to be honest. <laughs> like, oh, not, a, not another financier. Does the world really need one? But um, and um, anyway, he gave me a CV. I said, look, if, if you know, if you're interested, uh, let me have a look, and I'll come back to you if there's an opportunity. So he said, sure. So um, I called him up, came in for an interview, interviewed really, really well. And at the end of the interview, um, he asked me, "Are you publishing a book?" And we'd we'd recently done a big book deal for a student cookbook. And um, so I go, yeah. And he goes, um, yeah. I, I said, how do you know about that? Because we've not announced it. And he said, oh, my girlfriend from university is working at the publishing company on your book. 
Wow. <laughs> and I just, again, couldn't, couldn't believe it. it was very funny. And he ended up coming to work for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and two related stories. He ended up, my brother asked him and co-founder asked him also in the interview, James told me about this story about how you met. Can you just tell me what happened? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, he shared the reverse story. Well, I was just sitting there, my CV in the found, and James just said to me. And Michael just, again, couldn't, couldn't really believe it. And it's kind of very funny. So that's one context. Yeah. The other thing related to entrepreneurs and talking about, you know, a lot of successful entrepreneurs frame about stories that happen, that things, it's not even your idea and, and the sign potential of success that happens. And so I was at a friend's book launch, another entrepreneur called Fraser Doherty, and he a public, he's done a published number of books, but created a, a recipe. I think he started when he was 14 and it was his grandmother's recipe for jam. And he now sells like millions of jam jars a year and he's got an MBE. He's a fantastic, amazing person. Yeah. And um, so I'm at his book launch and I said to him, I really would love to publish a book. And he goes to me, well, you need a book agent. And I was like, of course, <laughs> of course you need a book agent if you're going to publish a book. So I said, do you mind introducing me? He said, no, sure. So he introduced me to this fantastic guy called Jonathan. And it turns out Jonathan went to my school and was in the same year as my brother. And I met him and I said, you know, I wanted to publish a book called Behind the Beans. And it was like the story about student beans and the beans group and what we've done. Yeah. And this is now already six years, it was a while ago. Hmm. And so he said at the time, look, not yet, but what about doing a student cookbook? And I said, well, I, I don't really cook. I'm not like, I, I couldn't put my name to a hundred, let alone 10 hmm. recipes that yeah. I could put my name to. And he said, not to worry, like, we'll put together, we'll get a fantastic home economist and a chef and someone that will put them together. And, you know, you can, you'll have the branding and, and it's fine. And we'll put together a proposal. So he ended up taking it to three, well, he took it to the market. And in the end, three publishers wanted to publish it. And there was one publisher that wanted to do a two book deal. And mm-hmm. so we ended up signing this, this big book deal um, where we published our first book was called The Ultimate Student Cookbook. The second one's called The Healthy Student Cookbook. Um, and it's now available on Amazon and globally. And we've sold tens of thousands of copies. And <laughs> it's just one of those examples. It wasn't even my idea. This is amazing. Uh, it's it's not and, your idea and you're not good at it either. Or at least you yeah. weren't before <laughs> you started it. But this is so amazing. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is, James. I mean, I, I, you're... So many, it's almost like, you know, these, these amazing things are just happening to you. I mean, that's, and I know, I know it's not the case, but you, I think you've, you've done so many things that, you know, it just starts coming together after a while, if you do enough of it. So I distracted myself by saying, okay, but what is Causa and why did I set it up? So you've heard all of these scenarios and coincidences and things happening. And the key thing though, that stops most people from having these types of conversation are two core pillars that I've kind of defined and, and, and decided on. And the first one is about permission. And the mm. second one is confidence. Mm. And if you think about it, the sample, the example with the CV on the underground, I, because I saw the CV, that for me was permission. And I appreciate for most people listening, that definitely is not permission to start a conversation. But the context of it is if we can give people permission and confidence, and really the idea of technology being an enabler, as opposed to another network digitally connected, it's, it's very much about the technology being an enabler to help people connect. Um, and there was a video that went around the internet a few years ago called um, Look Up by a guy called Gary Turk. He's an English spoken word poet. Hmm. And he was talking about leaving your phone at home and looking up and speaking to people. My challenge is that we've been so programmed to use technology that we, we 
broken ourselves almost and going back to basics in society about interacting with people it's just it's happening less and less and less and that's what I guess I'm on a mission yeah um the vision for Causa is to create millions of meaningful connections for people nearby all around the world every day um and that is like the essence of if we can create this technology and technology very simply it's available on the app store you go on um, and then you can download Causa and you can see who's nearby and it literally lists who's nearest you and you can join different groups so it if you're a big organization, you can have a group for your organization or you can have social groups around marathon running or, tra- you know, business travel or um, meet to eat as a group on there that literally you can go and join it. And then you can see who's nearby when people are interested in going for a meal. And it's not dating. So you've got lots of location and going on in the dating world. But it's it's about bringing that and helping people connect easily. Yeah. Um, and and that's like really, really key. And an experiment as well. I love to leave people with things that they can immediately do. So aside from obviously downloading the app and having a play and connecting with people, which would make me very happy. (laughs) We've already had um, someone meet someone and generate a half a million pound business deal as a result of meeting someone who who lives locally. Um, We've already had someone in Miami meeting to discuss solar energy and helping people in Haiti um, after the hurricane. And so there's some glimpses of things that just just starting um but another very tangible thing that led into causa being created was i live in a building in north london um quite near camden town and there's about 40 flats and i moved in and very few people knew each other people didn't know each other and i wanted to do something about this so i created a whatsapp group for everyone and i knocked on everyone's door and i literally said hey i moved in like nine months ago we've not met or spoken but i thought it'd be useful to help we can have a WhatsApp group and if anyone needs anything, whatever, we can be kind of part of this group. And everyone said yes, who had a smartphone and a few people that didn't now do, so they're part yeah, of it. Yeah. And it genuinely transformed the way that we live as a community. Mm-hmm. Everything from, and this all happened, like even just in the last week, some spare tickets for an event someone had, someone's got some leftover food and they're going traveling, so come and raid my fridge. Um, and tonight there's a Halloween um, event where we're going from a flat crawl from each different flat to have drinks in different people's homes. And, you know, that for me is the essence around community and creating and making a difference. Yeah. And, you know, maybe there are communities, people hearing that you can go and do that for that will make a difference for you as well. Yeah. No, it sounds like a really good idea. And I really like this idea of uh, trying to like spotting people around you based on your location. I, I think that can be extremely, extremely valuable. And, uh, you know, so it sounds like people are already making very good use of the app already. So that that's amazing. So I, it's so you just launched in the UK, I know, and now you're starting to open up in US and some other countries, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's internationally now available on the App Store. It's iOS only at the moment, just while we're working out the bugs and building. But it's, it's, it's fantastic. People are already meeting and connecting. Um, and, you know, I'd encourage you to obviously go and have a look. You can also... If there's not a group that you see that you want, you can request a group okay. um, and we'll, we'll create that for you. So we'll, we're, we're at the moment facilitating and creating groups for people. Um, but we'd love to see it. It's all around, you know, is it your alumni network from school? You know, the idea is if you, you're passionate about someone and if you knew the person sitting next to you was also involved or passionate about the same thing, that's the icebreaker. That gives people the context. Right. And that's what we can see. As soon as you've got a trusted network, something that you're familiar, something, you know, that's the immediate thing that's really really powerful yeah um 
And if we go back to also when we started the conversation talking about manufacturing serendipity, you know, a lot of people I think say to me, wow, you've again created another company in your persona, as it were. Um, and, you know, you're really confident and you can see why this would be useful. But not making the mistake, this, the app isn't designed for me because I can go and do this anyway. It's designed for everyone else or a lot of other people that don't have the same, maybe it looks like confidence now for me. And, and I use this story actually about my dad who was traveling down from Milton Keynes. Um, there was, he was working in uh, Newcastle and the train had stopped. And unfortunately, someone I think was on the track and something happened. So they didn't know when the train was going to leave to come back into London. Yeah. And so my dad thought, what would James do? And <laughs> uh, he stood up and he made an announcement to the carriage. I'm going to get a taxi back to London. Does anyone want to share a taxi with me? Yeah. And so two women said, sure. So they're in this taxi and they said, where are you going? And they said to North London, because that's where the train was going into anyway. Mm. And as they're going, they go, well, where specifically? And they said near Golders Green. And they said, where specifically? They said Middleway. And as they're getting to Middleway, you know, the taxi driver said, what number? And the girl said this, this number. And my dad said, really, you're, you're going to that number? And the, the house that they were going to is the house that my dad used to own. Oh, my and God. And I was born, not <laughs> in the house, but I grew up for the first five years of my life. I lived in the house that they were now dropping these two girls off into. And it was the grandmother's house of one of the girls. Oh, Jesus and Christ. This is too much. <laughs> too much. Too much. And I just, and anyway, so my dad, we, we had dinner that evening and sharing that story i've got goosebumps sharing it back with you because the chances you know and all of those things and my whole thing about location is we're very often in similar places to like-minded people doing like-minded things doing similar things and you know i know you're sitting in, in silicon valley and we're near silicon roundabout in in london and you've got people that are similar like-minded they come together and great things happen and the network effect and you know and another tangent i was in New Zealand walking down the street and I saw someone that I grew up with and on the one hand you think wow that's crazy that you know that's so random but actually we do you know people similar backgrounds you know, congregate in similar places yeah. and that's where I see causers is not another digital network it's an enabler to help people and help those things happen and almost think if it's a James in your pocket as it were it's 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 what would James do and it's enabling and helping and that's my vision to help other people yeah. you know have that you know, as many as, as frequently as possible, because it will make a real difference. Oh, it's, it sounds like a really, really good idea. I'm going to definitely check it out. And I'll share the link to the app in the description of cool. the episode. And it's all it's life has come full circle for you, James, because if your father is thinking, hey, what would James do in this situation? That's <laughs> awesome. So congratulations and congratulations Thanks. on all the success you've seen and all the best with Causa. Cool. Thanks very much. It's great to share and uh, good luck with everyone listening. And just take one step. Think what's the one thing break it down and just do it and and um a favorite mark twain quote if i can i share my last bit is um is 20 years from now you'll be far more disappointed by the things that you didn't do than by those that you did right so throw off the bow lines sail away from the safe harbor catch the trade winds in your sails explore dream discover excellent excellent thank you so much james and have a good rest of the weekend cool you too take care thank you Bye bye
All right, so that was James on how you can manufacture serendipity in your life. And hopefully you can start doing some of these things already starting right now. Of course, if you have any questions at all for James or for me, you can email us at hello at learneducatediscover.com or tweet at us at LED underscore curator. If you enjoyed today's discussion as much as I did, you should subscribe to the podcast. Simply search for Learn, Educate, Discover on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or whatever your favorite player of choice is. Search for Learn, Educate, Discover and hit subscribe. And while you're at it, leave us a review. Really, reviews mean a lot. They make my day. You can check out our website at www.learneducatediscover.com where you'll find not only a list of all the previous episodes, but also a number of other helpful resources, such as sample cover letters, list of books shared by other guests on the show, and so on. So do check out the website at learneducatediscover.com. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash learneducatediscover. And if you like the page, you'll start getting updates on all the great content that we are putting together, especially for you guys right there in your Facebook newsfeed. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and for your time. And until the next one, bye-bye.